and delay, I think Jesus was probably nervous too. <laughs> Christmas time is over. Several weeks ago, I walked out of my room and my cat actually jumped out of the Christmas tree. <laughs> this morning, I walked out of my room and a cat glared up me, at me and said, aren't you going to take that thing down now? <laughs> it is a Sunday about newness. And many of us are filled with that New Year energy. And according to a New York Times article last week, by tomorrow the 8th, 25% of New Year resolutions will also be packed away in the garbage. 25% only took a week. I'm going to suggest today that the real enemy of new life, as it turns out, is perfectionism. And those Wesleyans may be getting nervous, but I'll help transform that word in a little bit. And I'll call perfection for the sake of the moment, that pursuit of our own goals out of our own willpower through rational analysis and critique of ourselves and the critique other people may offer. Hard work, you might say. Professionalism is another word. Progress is another word. Soul-killing, perhaps, is another word. I was listening uh, to a broadcast, and someone of an older generation quoted a phrase that used to be hung in, in schoolrooms. Some of you may be familiar or know it in spirit. Good, better, best, never let it rest. Till your better, good is better, and your better is best. Now, if you want to kill your soul, take that up as your New Year's resolution. Each year, at this moment, though, I struggle with that spirit in myself. There's this feeling that, oh, we have a new year, we have a blank slate, let's fix all those selves, all those things wrong with us that we can critique. And it quickly becomes overwhelming. There's a whole cottage industry of books about self-improvement that are flying off the shelves or off the electronic bookstore as we speak. And the effect, really, this, uh, oftentimes the, the good work in those books gets transformed into a spirit of critique, criticism, and complaint. Perfectionism, professionalism, professionalism and progress, critique, criticism, and complaint. I would suggest to you that these have nothing whatsoever do to do with the gospel. The gospel begins with a word of good news. The gospel is not about sin, but it's about forgiveness. It's not about scarcity. It's about abundance. It is light not darkness. It isn't about who we should be. 
The gospel is a word about who you already are. And if we begin a year suggesting that we aren't who we, what we should be, you're leaving the gospel behind. A uh, church consultant that I follow spent a long time uh, in the pastorate, and when he met Sam, Sam was in his early 20s. And by that time, Sam had managed to get into enough more trouble than many of us can get into in a lifetime. And as that pastor got to know Sam, he learned Sam's story. In the early years of grade school, Sam came home with C's and B's. He'd go home and his mother would say, Sammy, you can do better. I remember that in my memory at one point. And Sammy would do better. In junior high, he came home with a few B's and mostly A's. And then he went home and his mother said, Sammy, you can do better. Sammy would do better. In high school, he came home with all A's. He was the star quarterback of the football team. All state. President, student body. He'd go home. Sammy, you can do better. And he did. He enrolled in a top-ranked college, became quarterback of the varsity team. His freshman year made all A's. Sammy, you can do better. And for the rest of his life, Sammy managed every time he had learned finally an identity of failure. He dropped out of college. And from then on, every time he got close to success, he mustered all of his considerable gifts to living out his identity of failure. Sammy had never learned the gospel. That God's first word to us is not that we should be better, but that we already are beloved. Genesis 1, you know, the old words of creed always have in them something we should not leave behind. Creator, for example. I often wonder when we say that how many folks think we're having to believe in a God who created the world in seven days, yada, yada, yada. It's, It's only a recent problem in Christian history. The text of Genesis, against its background in the ancient Mediterranean world, is a statement that God created, holds, and if this is better for you, holds the world in being by an act of sheer grace. Not for the the ancient stories of creation were about battles between gods, about humans being fated to however the gods performed, about the world being created from the carcass of Marduk, the god of ancient Babylon. These were the stories in circulation when ancient Israel put into its worship this glorious text. God said, it was, it is good. Such a marvelous word of grace. You were created good to be free. And then the gospel. 
Luke and Matthew begin in a different place. They begin in the nativities stories that we told over Christmas time. That in their own time and place speak a word of grace. Uh, God made present in a manger the lowest place. And being born in a lowest place, God sanctified all lives. That's what Luke and Matthew are about. Mark begins with this baptism, and we, we go right to repentance. It was a baptism of sin, but it was a baptism for forgiveness. And the first thing that happens in this gospel is Jesus is baptized and called beloved. Hear those words, friends. You are a beloved child of God. This is the gospel. It's God's first word to the world. And I think sometimes we should never say any more than that. In the light of this gospel, the word perfectionism is transformed. Your clergy and laity are sometimes asked one of the historic Wesleyan's questions, do you believe you're moving on to perfection? We all kind of smile and nod with a wink. But in the Wesleyan tradition, perfectionism is something different. To be a perfect Christian is to live out your love in what comes after God's first word. Meaning, perfect love is the recognition that your soul and the soul of the person in front of you is God's gift to the world. And everything else follows from that first word. Perfect love. It doesn't mean you're perfect by no means. By no means. But it does mean our call is to live out that grace. To recognize the sacredness of our own lives and of the person in front of us, no matter how annoying they are. Let's transform another word. So perfectionism, let's leave behind all the things we have done wrong. I can promise you I will go home today and enumerate in my mind the number of things that went wrong this morning. And I will say there haven't been many, this verges on criticism, there haven't been many Sundays in this congregation since I've been appointed that I walked into my office after church or on Sunday and somebody hadn't pointed out something. (laughs) That went wrong. I see somebody checking off the announcements. That's not perfectionism in the Wesleyan sense. Let's work on the word professionalism a little bit. We bandy that word about, professional. I'm a... This person's an old pro. What does it mean to be professional as a Christian? It has to do with your capacity to be graceful. It has nothing to do with your organizational skills, the the few mistakes you make in your particular work. Professionalism as a Christian has to do with our capacity to be joyful and graceful. 
If there's one character, I'm not concerned with church growth numerically. What promises church growth numerically, if God wills it, is a spirit of joyfulness and gracefulness in the community. That's the key. Professionalism, an old pro, what is an old pro? A pro in the Christian faith is someone able to embody grace and a spirit of joy living out of that first word. God's yes to you and to the world. Progress. Now we're getting close to meddling. Our New Year's resolutions I've got about five of them already left in the trash can. Progress. What does it mean to... How can we progress in the gospel? I'd suggest you leave all those New Year resolutions behind and try this one. For 2018, speak words of encouragement. What Sammy had never heard was well done. Go home at the end of your day, especially on those those tough days, and look through the day and find something to hold on to, (laughs) something that you can whisper to yourself, well done. There may be 10 things that went wrong this morning. You might encourage one another in the one thing that was well done. Living in that space, you are entering into God's first word. It's a very practical thing. Sometimes I think that what Christ did in the great passion and that we will follow in Holy Week is perhaps can be very practically and very earthly demonstrated when we have ten things that go wrong, nine, one that goes right, and we hold our tongue about those other nine. Christ more or less does that with the human spirit. Going through his life from that moment that he hears, you are my beloved. He'll whisper words of judgment, but that's mostly to us judgy religious folks. Christ's ministry will be a ministry of well done to people that need it desperately. We are people of grace, of perfect love, of professional joyfulness, of progression in well done. And that is a word the world is craving to hear, and it just happens to be the first word spoken at the dawn of creation And the word spoken to us when we remember that like Jesus, we are baptized. 
So I give you a New Year's resolution. Go forth into the world. Whisper to yourselves God's words to you. Well done.